Uh, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. I hope uh, it'll be something that'll be an encouragement uh, as well as a blessing to everyone here because everyone here is somewhere. Everyone here has something. Everyone here has done something, has been somewhere, has been involved with something, and you all have a story. Everybody has a story. Everyone that draws a circle around themselves has history inside that circle. And so I'm simply suggesting this morning a hitting of the rejoice button. So where are you this morning? And it's quite obvious I know where you are physically, so that we've settled. But seriously, I mean, where are you this morning? Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, where are you? Let me help you. Are you trapped? Do you feel trapped? Are you in a prison of despair? of doubt, of anxiety, worry, concern, call it whatever you will. Well, right off the bat, in case I don't get a chance to say anything else, I'm going to say this to you, each one. Learn to release the power of praise. The Apostle Paul wrote an interesting letter, This letter, many interesting letters, but this particular letter he wrote to the Philippians... I've preached on this New Testament book probably as much as I've preached on any New Testament book. And and that's up for debate. There may have been times I've preached more from Acts. But um, I've got to tell you, I believe it's one of the the Bible's most unique books. Little book, four chapters. You can read it just in one sitting, and it'll give you so much stuff that you won't be able to absorb it in five years. Some scholars call it the epistle of joy because the word joy or the word rejoice, regardless of what translation you're in, is going to appear there 16 times. Yet what is amazing, and has always amazed me about this little letter, and I'm taking a totally different tack on this today than I have on any message I've ever preached on Philippians. And and the thing about this that's amazing, and it's about Christian joy, is that it was written from a prison cell. And can I just say, because I don't want to get into all the details of it, but it's nothing, that was nothing like what we know or have seen or have pictured as a, as a prison cell in our day. While Paul was under the watchful eye of Roman guards, he was bound in chains. He wrote some of the most uplifting spiritual words ever penned. And, and these words have lived on through the, through the ages and in these four short chapters, he, he, he continues to exhort us to do one thing. And that theme is so dominant, it just keeps coming back to us in bold terms. And that theme is rejoice. He writes, no matter how dark our circumstances are, praise God. In, in chapter 1, verse 18, he said, I will rejoice. In chapter 2, verse 17, he said, I rejoice and share with you all my joy. In chapter 2, verse 18, he said, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. And then finally, and he said, finally, in, uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
And a verse I want to kind of camp on this morning, chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, Rejoice. So we're going to read that together, and I want everyone to join me if you would. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, Okay, now, if you're reading that to me and you didn't give me any background and I didn't know why you were reading it to me, I wouldn't be any happier than I was when I walked in here this morning. So let's really read it now, and let's get something into it, and let's forget who we are, where we are, and all the bad things that are happening to us, and let's get with the program. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say, Hit the rejoice button and say, I can't, I can't do that. I can't read that. I can't be excited like you're excited. Listen, Paul, I'm going to give you some little tips here. Paul always looked for the hidden blessing in every trial. We get so caught up in the trial. We get so caught up in the trial. We get so caught up in stuff. We get so caught up in I, 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 me, 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 me. No? Yes? I I don't want to speak foreign language to foreign people. I want to know that we're all on the same page. And I guess I'm speaking for myself and I shouldn't take anything for granted here. Assess where you are right now. Have you been complaining about your situation? You spend more time complaining about your situation or praising God for your situation? You spend more time grumbling about it? See, grumbling short-circuits faith. Don't tell me what a great man or woman of faith you are if you spend all your time grumbling about where you are in life. Grumbling short-circuits faith, but joy revives it. So like a broken record, Paul just keeps hammering the same theme over and over and over and over. And you say, wonder why he did that in that short letter? Because he wanted us to get a message. Repetition is always for emphasis. And he kept saying, rejoice. Now the word rejoice actually means to rejoy. It's like a reset button. How many of you have a computer, uh, some kind of electronic gadget, uh, anything, something maybe on your car that it, or in your home, and if it goes down, there's a place where you can hit a button. It's called a reset button and you can bring the program or whatever it is all back up. I want to see now how many people know what a reset button is. Oh good. Okay. Good. Good. When any type of problem or any type of system goes out of whack, a reset button will usually bring it back on. Now it may not solve the problem and it may only be temporary, but it'll usually get it back on. This is what happens when we rejoice. The joy we've lost is restored, and our feeble faith rises again. That's why I'm suggesting hitting the rejoice button. Now, perhaps Paul 
wrote the message to the Philippians because he, he remembered his first visit there. It was in Philippi that Paul and Silas were arrested and they were thrown into jail by the city's uh, officials. And, and uh, yet, while the two men sat there with their feet fastened in stocks, they did something rather unusual at midnight. They began to pray and to sing hymns. And that was long before the invention of subwoofers. So this Holy Ghost jam session triggered an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prisons, Acts 16, 25, and 6, and it shattered everyone's, not just theirs, it shattered the chains of every person, in that, every prisoner in, in that prison. Let me ask, you feel bound by your circumstances? You say, man, all this would make so much sense if it could just be you know, even Stephen, everything's great, no problems, but I've got all these circumstances. Now, I know many of you do have circumstances. I know all of us have some circumstances. You say, sometimes, Bob, I feel literally trapped in this tiny prison of limitation or, or delay, and because of today's weak economy, many people who have enjoyed a carefree life in the past, and I know a lot of these people, and some of them probably here today, are facing job loss, financial insecurity, debt, dismal lack of opportunities, etc., etc. Yet, I know, when I pray about my own situation, regardless what it might be, I always am led back to the ancient words of Paul to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I will say, rejoice. What does rejoicing, what does praise, what does all that accomplish? Well, let me just tell you that praise shatters some things. It, It totally decimate some things. Maybe you're in a real difficult season of life right now for you. And maybe you need to put Paul's message on your iPod. And maybe you need to play it over and over and over and over and over and over till you get it. Because the supernatural joy that is released in praise will do many things. Praise will do many things. First, it will shatter despair. You think your situation is hopeless. I talk to people every week, and when they talk to me and I look into their eyes, they're writing a message with those eyes, and they're just saying, this is hopeless, there's no hope, I can't go on, this has got to end, blah, blah, blah. Well, Paul was under house arrest. He couldn't leave his cell to preach the gospel. He couldn't leave his cell to do anything, yet he said, "Uh, I will rejoice For I know that my imprisonment will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus, Philippians 1, 18 and 19. Know this, my friend, believer, know this. God is always working behind the scenes. The clouds over your head today might be dark, but praise will lift you above those clouds so you can see the sun shining again. An unknown Confederate soldier wrote these lines, as you can imagine, many years ago. Off-quoted, but I love them. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life 
that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Second thing praise will do, it will shatter negativity. (laughs) You've been complaining about your situation. I got a three-word solution for you. And nothing, by the way, is going to change in your life until you adopt this principle. Ready? 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 Stop talking trash. No. Remember that Paul was in chains when he wrote in uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 14. Just read the whole book of Philippians again and you'll just be blown away. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. See, he knew his history and he knew that the children of Israel many years before had been banned from the promised land and barred from entry because they grumbled against the Lord. You can read that in one of his letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Grumbling short-circuits faith, but joy revives it. Remember that. Paul always looked for the hidden blessing in every trial to the point that he thanked God even in the midst of shipwreck and beatings and riots and death threats and starvation. Have you been in any of those places lately? I don't think so. So can God be wrong in putting us in a situation we're in? Can you, have you ever allowed this thought to enter your mind that I'm in this situation right now and I don't even know if God's aware of it? And I don't think it's fair. I hear that a lot. It's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. So I don't know if God's really superintending all of this. Sometimes we are, and this is a hard thing to have to say and to say to a a group of people because it doesn't maybe hit everybody, (coughs) but sometimes we are where we are because of our own choices. And God has allowed it. Listen to this. You've heard the first part of that many times, but listen to this. He's allowed it because he wants us to learn from those circumstances we've created. We've got to stop blaming God. We've got to start praising God. Praise him for his mercies. Just praise God today that you're alive. You say, well, I'd be better off dead. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, or you'd be dead. God's in charge of everything, my friend. Paul said this in Philippians 4.4. Maybe you've never heard it or read it. He said, rejoice always. And again, I will say, in case you didn't get it first time I said it, rejoice. Repetition for emphasis. What, uh, what else does praise do? It shatters doubt. <coughs> you stop praising and you'll get stuck in the muck and mire of your problems. You will get into those problems and you will stay there and stay there and and your wheels will spin and you will go. And I don't want to look at anybody. You will go nowhere. Nowhere. Stop praising and progress comes to a screeching halt. Say, I don't know that I've grown that much in the last year. I don't know if I've grown that much since I became a Christian. I don't know if I have that spark that I once had when I first turned my life over to Christ. I don't know if I really feel changed. Where I, I thought I was transformed. I thought I was reborn. I thought I became a new creature, but I don't seem to have that anymore. 
Well, just do some inventory. And let me just tell you, if you're grumbling and you're complaining and you're doubting God and you're putting the onus on Him and all the blame goes there, you stop praising. And you're stuck, my friend, and your wheels are turning, but you're not going anywhere. All we can see is the here and now. Something supernatural has to happen, and it will, when you start rejoicing in the Lord. You're lifted out of the prison of impossibility. You're translated into a realm where you can do all things. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, then you, can, you say, well, we glibly, you know, we, we just, we, we've memorized that, so we just recite that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if you can, then that means you can rise above any circumstance that happens to be in your life, especially if it's one of your own doing. When you praise, you go into a phone booth looking like Clark Kent, and you come out looking like Superman. Well, it got your attention. At least you know what I'm talking about. See, some people don't want to look like Superman spiritually because somebody might make fun of them. Somebody might laugh at them. You might be giving up something you don't want to give up. Hello? What else does praise do? Praise shatters anxiety. Paul said, that when we hit the rejoice button and replace worry with joy, especially a joy-filled prayer, he, he said this in chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Joy will calm your anxious heart, and it will allow you to receive the very promises of God. Things look bleak for the children, and if you ever read the George Mueller story, you'll identify with this uh, little anecdote right off. George Mueller's orphanage at Ashley Downs over in England many, many, many years ago. It was time for breakfast that morning. There was no food in the orphanage. The small girl whose father was in close, a close friend of Mr. Mueller's was visiting in the home, and Mueller took her by the hand, and he said, Come see what our father, our father, will do. And in the dining room, long tables were set with empty plates and empty mugs. Not only was there no food in the kitchen, there was no money anywhere in the home's account. So the children, picture this, were all standing around waiting for their breakfast, and Mr. Mueller said to them, children, you know we must be in time for school. And he lifted his head and he prayed this prayer, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. Upon the amen, they heard a knock at the door, and when they opened it, there stood the local baker. And he said these words, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have any bread for breakfast. And the, the Lord wanted me to do something and to send you some bread. So I got up at 2 a.m. and I baked some fresh bread. And here it is. And George Mueller thanked him and gave praise to God. Moments later, there was a second knock at the door. It was the local milkman whose milk wagon had just broken down. Coincidentally, of course. Accidentally, of course right in front of Mueller's orphanage. He offered all his milk to Mr. Mueller and the orphans so he could have his wagon hauled off to the nearest repair shop. Back in 1970, and that's a long time ago for some of you, a military chaplain named Merlin Carruthers wrote a small book called Prison to Praise. Today it has sold more than 17 million copies in 53 different languages. It challenges readers to thank God and to praise God and to lift the name of God up in the midst of your difficulties. And it's full of testimony after testimony after testimony of everyday people like us who experience miraculous breakthroughs when they obey this simple principle. In all things, 
give thanks and praise to God. In all things. Not when all the things pass that you think are bad, but in every situation. While going through every situation. As those things are upon you and about to consume you, give praise to God. You know, when Crothers wrote that 45 years ago, what he wrote is still relevant today. The very act of praise, he said, releases the power of God into a set of circumstances and it enables God to change them. Miracles, power, and victory, he said, will be a part of what God does in our lives when we learn to rejoice in all things. Hitting the rejoice button. Let me ask you this, dear friend. Is it time? Is it time for you to do something? Are you tired of just church on Sunday and a little bit of Christianity through the week, season to taste? Huh? Is it time to get real? In the year 1900, a survey was done. Didn't know they did surveys back there. And survey asked this question, what must you have to be happy? And in the results of the survey, there were 72 different answers. Same survey was conducted in 1950, so half a century later. The results of that survey showed 496 answers. I don't think that survey has been done again. I hope it hasn't because I wonder how many results there would be today. It would be in the thousands, I'm sure. Our world is in a mad pursuit of happiness. Have you noticed? You go into a bookstore or if that's something in past life, go online and look at all the books on fulfillment and finding the good life. Now listen, finding the good life is not an improper goal. You'll never catch me saying that. But we need to raise the bar. We need to get with the program. We need to get back to the book. And we need to know and practice how to find real joy. And I'm talking to somebody here this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your name is. But the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I don't just have one or two people, but I have numbers of people in a congregation this size who are in desperate need of hearing what is going to be said here this morning. You need to get back to the book. You need to find, if you've never find, found it, you need to find it for the first time. The real joy of living. For you, 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 you see happiness. We, we talk a lot about happiness. The world is just consumed with happiness. <laughs> and I don't want to be morbid, but if you want to talk about happiness, why don't you go to the true Christian believers on the other side of this globe right now and ask them how they would define happiness. And if you're not watching the news or following what's going on in the globe, you're probably better off. But See, happiness is all about external, listen to the word, happenings. Happiness, happenings. Another word we use is happenstance circumstance. That's where happiness comes from. The happenings. Happiness is not joy. Not joy. Joy is internal. And joy is abiding. And joy is rooted deeply. You can take away my happiness, but you cannot touch my joy. And if somebody touches my joy like he's touched some of your joy, you know what? You let it go. And you're the one who's going to have to get it back. And you're going to have to go back to that intersection and find out where you took that wrong turn. And say, ah, ah, 
I want to hit the rejoice button in my life, and I'm going to do it. Now, it's important. Now, some people find, well, let me ask you this question. Where do you find your fulfillment? You say, what do you mean by fulfillment? I don't know. We can substitute some other word if you want. You know, just where do you find your fun? Where's your meaning in life? Where's your purpose for living? Where do you find fulfillment? I don't need to explain that. Let's just, it's on the screen, right? Let's just stare at it for a second and really ask ourselves that question. Where do I find fulfillment? Ask yourself that question. I'm going to suggest three places that people are looking. First, in people. Oh, pastor, if I could only have a certain relationship, if I could just be accepted by the right crowd, oh, then I could be happy. Some of you are spending out. You're just spending a lot of time trying to be accepted by certain crowds that aren't going to take you anywhere worthwhile. Now, it's important to have the right kind of friends, and everybody wants to have a few friends. It's important to marry the right person. This is going to blow you off that chair. Listen, people are not a permanent source of happiness. People, sorry to blow your plan here and to burst your bubble, but people are not a permanent source of happiness. Or they're not a source of permanent happiness. You can put it either way. You know, what's the prominent theme of the love songs today? Well, my life is worthless. I am meaningless. I have no significance without you. Aww. Aww. Where's the bucket? I want to chuck some cookies. Now, that statement should be made by every Christian, but it should be made about one person, and that is the relationship that we have with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because my life is worthless, and my life is meaningless. And I have totally no existence and no significance without you, Lord Jesus. Sing that song today. By the way, you you friends that that are here and single, you unclaimed blessings. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 7. That even, listen to me. I sound like your parent now, don't I? If I were close enough to you, I'd grab you by those... Listen, is anybody in there? (laughs) Even if you go your whole life unmarried, you are not a second-class Christian or any kind of an incomplete person. This is because if you're in Christ, you are complete in Christ. And my friend, one is a whole number. People change, people leave, people die. You can't put all your stock in people. So where do you find fulfillment? Well, people, not. How about things? Oh, I only had some of those things that other people have. Uh, Let me give you a word of advice because I was in that, I was trapped in that for a number of years. That if you spend all your life trying to keep up with the Joneses, as soon as you catch up, they'll refinance. 
oh, if I only had, if I just had. A number of years ago on Nightline, Ted Koppel, this was at the height of the PTL popularity, he confronted in an interview, he confronted Tammy Faye Baker about her lavish spending. And here's what she said, quote, Ted, when I am depressed, spending is my therapy. Buying things makes me happy. And I'd smile, but she had so much makeup on her face, you couldn't tell if she was smiling or frowning. But, yeah, buying things makes me happy. And I thought of that. The name of their network and show was Praise the Lord. No, seriously, what an awful message to send to a lost and dying world. Why? Because things lose their luster. And you, when they do, you'll lose your joy. And, there's all, and I know I'm a little haughty this morning, but you know what? I want people to get, the, get with the program. There's always a newer model car, so if you think you're getting ahead by doing that, everybody drives a, a used car. A great gadget is invented. Oh, i got to have it. By the way, do you have your iPhone 13 yet? <laughs> Come on, we want to keep up. Oh, Most of us in our hands... And some of you right now, I could, I could spit on some of them. You've got gadgets in your hand. You don't know 5% of what that thing does. But man, I want to tell you something right now as your friend. I am impressed. And so God's got to be impressed. If I just had more things, more gadgets, and the newer house and the newer car and the bigger pool, woo, I'd be all set. You know what the Bible says that one day? All the material stuff in this world is going up in flames. All of it. So what do you find your fulfillment in? I, I, what's your fulfillment for life? What's your purpose? What's your significant meaning for life? Well, it could be people. They'll move away. They'll leave you. They'll die. That doesn't work. Could be things, they'll lose their luster and you'll lose your joy. Or it could be places. Oh, if I could just live in that area, parentheses, Vancouver, British Columbia. If I could, <laughs> mm, boy, I've often said I believe in miracles, but I don't believe in miracles strong enough because if I did, God would have long ago taken me right out of where I was and put me right in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's never happened. I still try to believe in God, although I doubt a lot. Uh, no. Yeah, if I could just live in that place. I live in this other place, and I live in this such and such a town, or I'd like to get a new house. I don't like the dump I live in, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Oh, if I could, Bob, you don't understand. If I could just have that job, then I, I know I'd be happy. Wait, 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 wait. If you're not happy now, I know, I know this goes against all human reasoning in today's world, whatever that is. If you're not happy now, no job's going to make you happy. Oh, you'll be a momentarily happier. But I'm not talking about happiness this morning. I'm talking about joy. Paul didn't say, tickle yourself if nothing else works and just, just get happy. No, he didn't. And he didn't say in the fourth verse, now that I'm happy, I think I'll tickle some more because I want to be happier and happier and happier. And I'm going to re-hit the happy, happy button. He never said that. He said rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'm going to tell you, 
Rejoice! I wonder how he even wrote those words. Hands and feet chained. A lot of times he was in prison, he was chained to guards. Sixteen guards watching over him. I guess they thought he was... He might, he might flee. Yeah. No bail for that guy. Or you say, yeah, I'd be, I, I could just be happier if I was in a different situation. Or maybe I'd be happy in another church. Somebody said that to me not too long ago, and I said, I can give you a list of 19 of them in Eltworth, and I can check off the ones where you'd be happier, and probably you'd get 19 there, because you determine your happiness, not the church. Hello? Yeah, but I've been here for a few years already, and I know it's so predictable, and that's one thing. That is our one weakness. We are just so predictable. And I know what I'm going to hear, and I know how long I need to listen to it, and then, you know, then I'll turn my brain back on. And this is, kind of gets old after a while anyway, and blah, 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 on and on we go. And by the way, I found over 41 years and many more years in a church, like uh, quite a few, these people never find happiness in places. You know why? Because everywhere they go, they take themselves with them. Interesting, huh? And it is not an external problem. It's an internal problem. And I'm not talking here about happiness. I'm talking about joy. So I could be a lot happier at another church. Well, you can be a lot happier doing a lot of things. You'd be a lot happier not even in church, probably. Amen. Some of you came to life now. But who's talking about happiness? You missed the point altogether. In John chapter 16, it basically says, The world didn't give me my joy, and the world can't take my joy away. So things can't do it. Places can't do it. People can't do it. Nothing can. So then we come back to Philippians 4, and oh yeah, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'm going to say, rejoice. Now, I want to give you the context and the background again so we get it. Paul's not lying on a beach when he writes this. Nobody's fanning him with a palm branch and handing him grapes to eat. He's in a dirty, rat-infested, dark, no electricity, no heating system, no nothing, dungeon. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I love this. I get this. I get this. Nobody here would ever or has ever or will ever say this, but I get it. Yeah, and I tell people things like this, and it just like, it just, it's just like a, a plane taking off an aircraft carrier. It just goes right over their head. And in almost the same breath, they say to me, yeah, Bob, yeah, mm. But Paul, he hasn't been through what I've been through. And you're right, he hasn't. You're, you're right, he's been through much worse. When he wrote this, his back was bleeding and he was covered in scars. Look, five times up to this point he'd been beaten with 39 lashes. You know what, 39 lashes? I mean, that's next to dead. They say the 40th lash kills you. Five times he went through that. You do the math. Three times that was done, we call caning, done with a stick. 
He'd been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been robbed. He'd been betrayed. He'd been mocked. He'd been maligned. Most of the world just looked down at him, and if they were near enough, they would spit on him. Look at the picture here, my friend. This guy says he's rejoicing in the Lord. Is he some kind of nut wacko case? I can listen to a guy like this. He has earned credibility. And you can check the rest of the scripture. Everything he said is accurate. Everything he said comes true. So what dominant characteristic does this Apostle Paul have that may reveal the secret to his unfathomable joy even in the midst of these circumstances? And let me tell you, and thanks for asking, that dominant characteristic is something I call unselfishness. See, a lack of joy and selfishness itself seem to go hand in hand. Self-centered people, even if they're saved, are joyless people. I guess it's illustrated best like this. A little boy and his sister were sharing a rocking horse. It was a little tight. And the little guy said this, quote, If one of us would get off, there'd be more room for me. Mm. Now, if you have your Bible there with you, or you have that very impressive electronic device, you just, you just dazzle me with your footwork. I just, it's phenomenal. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1. We're staying in the book, staying right in the book. And the rest of us third-class citizens, we're going to read from the screen verses 1 through 9, I guess, 8 or 9. So let's read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. So that's who he's addressing. That's his salutation. Grace and how, how would I get a letter like this tomorrow? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an opener. I thank my God every time I remember you. And where is he remembering these people from? He is in a prison. I've gotten letters from people in prison. They didn't start out like that. In all my prayers, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Is he emphasizing or what? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's not just building them up, folks. He is commending them for their faithfulness and their joy and what they bring to him. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wow, that, that's, that's really saying something about a group of Christian people. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. I bet tears were just streaming down his face. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Beautiful, beautiful language. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection or the heart of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus. And then this ninth verse, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Wow. Wow. If I could, I want to paraphrase and I want to just emphasize a couple things in those verses, if I could do that. First off, let me say, if you and I were writing a letter from prison today, 
I don't think we'd be using the pronoun you very much. I think the prominent pronoun, from what I hear, would be I. I can't believe, I did prison ministry, and I was with some pretty hardened criminals, and I can tell you that there's nobody on the other side of those walls that's guilty of anything. I don't know why I'm here. I was framed. They got the wrong guy. Shouldn't be me. I can't stand this place. I can't stand this food. I think the reason I can't is because I am innocent. And incidentally, we wouldn't have any joy in that place. You wouldn't if you were there, and the people who are there are not having any joy. But it's interesting. This is why this letter is so unique. Paul's writing this letter from what? From prison. And he had that joy, and he knew that joy, and he knew how to exhort other people into that joy. He says, I have you in my thoughts and my prayers and in my heart. I have you in my thoughts, first off. He says in verse 3, I'm just, every remembrance of you brings me joy. Now, what do people think of when they remember you? I know thinking of certain people evokes certain feelings in me. No, but there's certain names that I could bring up. And I could even bring some up that you might identify with. And you'd feel anxiety because maybe you associate it with them. Or there's been something in the past. Or, you know, bitterness because they wronged you. Oh, bad them. Or disgust because of what they did. Or jealousy because of what they have. Or on and on the list might go. So how do you make people feel? We'd all hope to bring joy into their hearts. But do we do that? Do we do that? Do we do that in our jobs? Do we do that in our businesses? Do we do that in our, in our social connections? Do we do that in our community? Do we let people know just by how we speak to them, how we act with them, how we react, that we belong to someone far greater? And it's time to do some gut checking there because it's a very unfortunate thing to be a pastor in a community like this because you hear back from people about people and they say, oh, and why don't you come to our church? Well, let me... How do people feel when they think about us? Do they feel undeserved guilt after they speak with us? Are we so negative that we bring them down? Are we so self-righteous that we turn them off? Are we so sinful they don't want to associate with us? Are we so opinionated their thoughts don't matter? Are we so busy and focused that they know we're too busy for them? Are we so critical that they cringe to see us coming? Are we so unfriendly they'd rather talk to anybody in the world except us? Are we so stuck on ourselves that they are repulsed at the thought of us? How about it? Have you known someone who says such things about others that it makes you wonder what they might say about you? Or are they so joy-filled that it spills over into your life? Are they so inspiring they make you want to be like them? And they're so compassionate that you can't help loving them, and they're so positive that it changes your whole outlook. And they're so giving, and they're so easygoing, and they have such servant hearts, and they're so outwardly focused, and they have vision, and that vision helps you to see the bigger picture. And they're so concerned. You can can see the concern in their eyes. They truly care. Something happening that I need to know about? No. Is there such wisdom when they speak 
that your ears perk up and say, this is something important, I need to listen. Isn't the bottom line whether they truly put Jesus first in their lives, then others with very little thought for themselves? Paul was remembering the people at Philippi, and I'm not going into all the history there, but he remembered Lydia, who was a seller of purple. And she was an ordinary woman. And she came to know Christ, and she had a phenomenal impact on others. There was a demon-possessed woman with a tormented heart. And she followed Paul and the others as they went around town preaching the gospel. And she was so taken with the message. She said, these are servants of the Most High God. And Paul cast out that demon, and she was miraculously saved. And she became like a little child. And Paul remembered her amazing testimony. And then there was a Philippian jailer, jailer my, my, most, my most favorite, my favorite ver- uh, chapter in all the Bible, Acts 16. It's one of the first sermons I ever preached was uh, happiness at midnight and joy with the jailer. There was the Philippian jailer. He had that tough and hard. Listen, he was the one who put the stripes on Paul's back when he was in prison for preaching. And yet after that earthquake, he came to their cell and he fell on his knees and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul took him in. And he took Paul in, took him to his home. And the family and the servants in the family were saved too. And they had a great baptism that night before the sun rose. We're talking about joy here. We're talking about rejoicing here. And he's not thinking here about himself. He's thinking about others. He said, the thought of you, verse 3, just brings joy to my heart. I know. And after all said and done, Bob, life, life happens. I understand. It throws its very best at us. It can be hard, can it? can be bad, can it? can be totally inexplicable or unexplainable. It just can't. You can't sometimes. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if you can take a punch or not, but life's got one for you. Those two guys going at it last night, I want to tell you, the highlight of that whole thing was each of them could take a punch. And nobody was given an inch. It was the most phenomenal, phenomenal championship I think I've ever seen. Talk about take a punch and be resilient and bounce back and counter punch and take another punch and come back. Incredible stuff. Defense is still the best offense. So what should you do if you've got one of those deals where life's just thrown a rotten egg at you? I'm going to give you just a few little ideas. Just a few little ideas. You don't have to do them all. You don't even have to do any of them. You don't have to think about it if you don't want to. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, one of the first things I'd suggest you do is go visit a nursing home. And not, these are in no particular order. I'd suggest that you call a cancer patient. Better still go visit. I can remember going through a really rough time and a very trying time when, when I was pastoring in Texas. And I went into Dallas to the children's hospital one day to visit a little seven-year-old boy from our congregation who had very serious 
cancer. <laughs> and I walked out of, I remember walking out of that hospital and I remember my drive home and I remember saying, God, don't ever let me complain again about my lot in life. I was never so thankful. I was so thankful I didn't know what I was thankful for. I know that sounds silly. But my heart was just bursting with thanksgiving to God. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for little Philip. And God did spare him for a while. And about two and a half years later, God brought him home and gave him a perfect body. It was beautiful. So you go, uh, you, you, you go visit a cancer patient. You say, I'm having a tough time. I want to just say, Pfft. write a letter to some missionary that, that's supported here or somebody you know or somebody that's in a work and they might be struggling to get the gospel out. Listen, people around the world that are doing that, they're under intense, intense pressure right now. Or May the 24th, come listen to some orphans, no mom, no dad, never, never even knew their parents. When they leave off the tour, where are they going? Back to the orphanage. And come and listen to them sing about their joy in the Lord Jesus. And if you got hard of hearing, you don't have to listen to them. Just watch the smiles. Not only that, you'll be envious and say, oh, I wish I had teeth like that. You would have if you were like them and didn't eat sugar. You know what I think you should do? You know what I think you should do? You know what I think you should do today? Because if you say, this is all good stuff, I should incorporate it sometime. You know what I think you should do? And get serious about it and say, you know, today is the day. I think you should cancel the pity party. Everybody you've invited, just send them a note. Say, it's off. No, I don't find that funny at all. I mean, just cancel it. We get so wrapped up in us. God is so big. Why do we think we're bigger than God? Cancel the pity party. Think of others. Bring it around to Jesus. He'll cheer you up. I have you in my thoughts. I have you in my prayers. And, and I just tell you, if you want to see the connection there, verse 9 and verse 4. The connection between prayer and joy. Because there is a connection between thoughts and prayers. And when you're thinking of someone, you should be led to prayer. You're thinking if somebody has a need, that should put you to your knees and say, I'm going to pray for them. Don't just tell somebody, oh, I'll be praying. Put it on Facebook. Praying for you. Sending love and hugs. That's useless. That is totally useless. When you think of that person, pray for that person. So... Not only have I given you a good sermon this morning, we've cleaned up Facebook. Wow. <laughs> Universal message here. I have you in my thoughts, I have you in my prayer, and I have you where? My heart. He talked about the compassion. He talked about in the bowels of Jesus Christ, meaning the inmost part of a person, the real you, the inner man, the inner woman. Wow. That's the, and in uh, NIV, it's called the affection. In the KJV, it's called the bowels, the innermost part, the heart of a person. Even in prison, Paul said, guess what? I have you. You know where? 
my heart. Boy, the heart's a great place to carry somebody. You can carry them on your back, but then the day will come and you'll hear, Get off my back! They can be on your nerves. All different body parts. They can be on your guts and you say, I've had a belly full of you. I can't stomach you anymore. Right? Right? But you won't have that attitude if they get lodged in your heart. I thank God for the joy you bring to me, Paul said, because I have you in my thoughts. I have you in my prayers. But oh, I have you in my heart. You're in my affection. That's deep-seated. Now here is the place to carry others. Carry them in your heart. Love them through the eyes of Jesus. You ever been eyed by someone? What it means is you feel their eyes are on you. You can tell they're looking for a problem, and there's pressure on you, and you begin to sweat. You're in under a microscope, you're in a fishbowl, whatever. And there's no way out. Well, let's just flip that around. Have you ever been eyed by someone and you think they're looking at you through the eyes of Jesus? They really care. And they see what you, what you, they see you, not for who you might be now or what you're going through, but they see you for what you can be in Christ. Some of you are here today and you're just struggling, 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 struggling. And you don't think anybody sees, you don't think anybody cares. Well, let me tell you, there are people who see, there are people who care. And they're people who feel what you're going through. And they see you and they love you and they've lodged you in their hearts. And they see you not for what you're going through today or not where you are today or not what you brought you to this situation that you're in. But they see you for who you can be in Jesus Christ. Man, there's a world, let alone there's, a, there's an eternity of difference. You know, you look at, we have to look at ourselves, and that's where we started this morning. And I said, you know, let's just take a good look, all of us. I, so I've done that too. And you know, I, I know who I am. And I know that I'm in, you know, I, I can be a pain in the neck in other places. I get on a lot of people's nerves. I know there are many people who can't stomach me, and I understand that. But I can just stand here today... And say, thank God for the few people I know who carry me in their heart, and I never doubt it. Thank God for those people. It's no coincidence that such people, and you're probably thinking of some right now, are the most joy-filled people that I know. It's because they're unselfish. They live by this premise, Jesus, others, yourself. And that spells, Jesus, others, yourself, spells joy. So let's get this thing right. Let's hit the rejoice button. And let's do it today. Because today only happens once. Anything I've said here this morning has nothing to do with tomorrow. Nothing has everything to do with today.